Welcome to Room for Growth. A Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f***ing grow. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Room for Growth. You have Billy Fisher and me, Billy Lowen, just with you today. And Billy Fisher, I have an important question for you. Bring it. Okay, you have two daughters, so I have high expectations on this one. Uh-oh. Have you ever shopped for foundation? Do you know what shade of foundation you would wear? I don't know what shade of foundation I would wear. I don't know what shade of foundation my daughters would wear. I have been in many a, a store. Like Alta is a regular visit for it. So I know what we're talking about here. This, I'm not I'm not in an intimidating land. Okay, so you know your daughters better than anyone. If you had to walk into, as much as I love Ulta, you know, I'm going to go back to my tried and true Sephora right now uh-huh. and pick out foundation. And again, foundation is intended to match their skin color. Right. I know that part. Yeah. How many options do you think you would have? And how close do you think you would get? That's a good question. So I would guess that there are two to three options for the skin tone that my daughters would have that I would maybe pick from. And what was the second part of the question? I'm getting nervous. (laughs) How many (laughs) options do you think you would have to decide between? Yeah, like two to three. Like there's like super white, uh, you know, a kind of tan, really tan would be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can immediately tell that Billy Fisher has never shopped for makeup because Billy, when I tell you that you go into these stores, first of all, there's probably 30 to 50 brands different that you would have to choose from. And then each of them have like a palette of colors with anywhere between 10 and 20 options. Okay. And they all look the same and they're all called something like golden beige, (laughs) sandy beige. Yeah. It's impossible. Can I make a confession real quick? I do go to these stores. I kind of like walk around like in a, like in a weird way with my hands in my pocket. And then I, start to freak my daughters out because I'll just randomly start sampling stuff that's like lotions and stuff like that. And so I don't know if I've ever actually paid attention to the foundations. Why are you asking me about these makeup questions? Okay, good question. (laughs) Today, Billy, I want to hound you and I want to talk about personalization and not just personalization for personalization's sake, but really like what is the true return on investment that brands are getting from personalization? I recently read a Boston consulting group set of research that came out about this topic, what brands are seeing the greatest ROI from personalization. And it's super interesting, but it had me thinking a lot about Sephora because Sephora, and we've talked about this, I think once on the podcast, is doing something really unique with their in-person shopping experience, which is that they have this new, I don't know if it's new actually, but they have a program where if you go into a Sephora, they basically hold this like phone camera up to your skin And then it matches your shade. And then if you are shopping either in the store or online and you're trying to find something that has to be shade matched, it will tell you which shade of any given brand is the right match for your skin tone. Hmm. And I was thinking about what an incredible reduction of friction that is for a buyer 
what a tremendously powerful personalization example it is and how I would guess they are just like raking in new sales and people trying new categories, trying new brands because of that like single feature that must have been very hard for them to develop and very hard to get into stores and very hard to use. But like, that's the new personalization in my mind. Yes. And as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about some past, you know, I, did, I haven't listened to the podcast with Nate Wooten yet, but talked about customer delight, I know, was the, mm-hmm. the core topic. You also talked about previously merging, how we, we still have a long way to go to merge digital with in-store experience. So both of these, the Sephora example, in addition to the ROI, just the customer delight side it makes that in-store experience sticky and and it's using digital in order to do that. So, so yeah, it's, it's incredible. It makes me wonder as you're talking, like where are the other industries or areas that this idea could be leveraged um, or has been? Totally. Yeah. I think like delight based or friction reducing personalization, anything that is really solutions based is going to be kind of the next wave of what we see. But I actually can give you an answer to some of that, Billy. So again, I'm going to like cite some Boston Consulting Group data for you. This is not us and our data, but it's all credit to them. But basically what Boston Consulting Group said is that for brands who've created a personalized experience because they're integrating their advanced digital tech with whatever proprietary data or whatever proprietary systems or even points of leverage they might have. So in this case, that's for a might know your skin tone and your shopping behaviors. That's what they have proprietary with whatever their very modern stack is. We know what that stack is, but they have a great sort of best-in-class stack of technology they work in. They are seeing revenue increase by 6 to 10%. Wow. That is wild. And they're seeing that is two to three times faster than brands who don't. And then BCG says that they think there are three sectors that over the next five years are most primed um, to have personalization shift revenue somewhere in the range of $800 billion, but probably only to the top 15% of companies that get it right. So there will be a few top performers in this area who will get it right. They'll see the rewards of this out of retail, healthcare, and financial services. Yeah. And man, do we work with a whole bunch of brands in those three spaces who are trying to get this exactly right. Yeah, it's interesting. Immediately, I'm glad you mentioned healthcare and financial services because we're going off the Sephora example. I was immediately going into all these kind of retail consumer experiences. But what do you think a great personalized experience with a financial institution looks and feels like? Well, I think that's a great one. But let's talk about the challenges that we see just today. Mm -hmm. So many financial services clients, whether you're applying for a credit card or you're taking out a home loan, there's just a tremendous lack of education and brands really struggle in these spaces to understand who they're talking to early in a relationship with the consumer. Are they talking to somebody who's got a tremendous amount of wealth to invest and they might be right for like in-person services? Are they talking to a young person who's just trying to glean some basic information? And then how do you kind of steward those people along? How do you feed them content that at a basic level serves their needs, but helps them overcome any misconceptions they might have about whatever financial service is being provided. So for instance, if you are a financial advisor, people who have never used a financial advisor are going to wonder like, do I have enough money to take advantage of this service? How much is it going to cost? What could I expect on that first visit? 
So there's just some of those basics. But then second, think about all of the different places that you have money that you need to keep track of. You need to make sure that you're putting the right amount in each account or in each type of investment. Like that's a huge challenge in and of itself. Yeah. There's of course just managing like the different offers that come your way. Offers today through brand partnerships like remain pretty terrible. Oh, they're awful. Yeah. Even with some of the best companies in the like American Express has a just a wonderful digital experience and even they do it. It's just as it gets lost and it's confusing. Yeah, totally. And I mean, Billy, like think about healthcare. I'm sure yeah, you all you can see is opportunity. Yeah. Um, that's I think the the industry that is always so ripe for innovation and and so cha- it's challenging to 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 do it quickly but but yeah we've we've been talking i think google was trying to revolutionize that 10 10 years ago and and i'm not sure if they've given up or or what came out of it so yeah so this same article talked about how um, most of the personalization leaders that we see today are definitely like tech natives so they're either digital only companies or they were built on the idea that they would be personalization at scale type brands. But I think the thing that's really interesting is more and more often, traditional brands are actually accelerating and excelling in this space. And they're sort of seeing the rewards from this at a different pace. So digital natives still lead. These are companies like Zillow. Like Zillow is just like a master of personalization. Everybody knows it. Uber, for instance, they feed up food offers to you when you want them. Um, from restaurants that you've shopped at before or ones that you might love in your area, they do a lot. But more traditional companies are making some of the fastest gains in this space. So I think about like Starbucks and the devotion that they've had to improving their digital experience as well as the level of personalization that they have and to end in that experience for years. Um, Sephora, another good one. They're you know traditional uh, brick and mortar retailer who's making tremendous strides to improve their digital experience and personalize across both. So that is a much more like interesting fight to me when you put digital natives and traditional companies on similar expectation ground and see who can win. Like that's a fun business battle. Yeah. And so much of this is just about mindset and how they go about tackling these problems. Because a phrase you use all the time is eat your vegetables. This is not an easy thing to do or deliver. And, and you talked, referenced the Sephora, the, the level of investment. I bet the executive buy-in to develop that tool, there was probably a lot that was needed there. And I would guess it was a long and hard project in order to launch it. And this is not something that you just plug and play a new platform and all of a sudden you've got personalization, I think. And that's the, the sin that many, many brands are making is they want this to be quick and easy. Totally. Yeah. I can make some suggestions of where I see places for brands to start. Yeah. But I am with you. I think this game is not about quick gains. It's really about like going to the gym every single day. If you want to change your entire physique, you have to like practice every day. You can't go once. You can't do a big January push. Dang it. You have to, unfortunately. <laughs> but before we do, let me tell you about some of Starbucks results from the personalization investment they made, because this is wild to me. So they said the personalized games have helped to triple Starbucks's marketing campaign results, which is wild. Wow. If we had clients who said, can you triple our marketing results? Yeah. We would have a lot of questions about yeah, right. the plan and the investment to do that. It's doubled their email redemptions, which is insane performance for email. Yeah. And generated a threefold increase in the incremental spend of customers redeeming offers. So it's really saying for customers who are 
redeeming an offer or taking advantage of a coupon, of some kind of stars offer, of a loyalty program redemption, it's threefold increase in their spend. Wow. Which just really like flips, I think, archaic loyalty knowledge on its head. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, talk about ROI. Totally. And then in addition, I think this is almost more fun because this is what I like preach about a lot. I feel like is that because their results are so good, because they've learned so much about their consumers, because they are really good at understanding what their consumers need in order to spend more, they are so good at marketing now that they have reduced their spend. So they've kind of like looked at their mass marketing spend, brought it back, reduced it pretty significantly. And instead they're investing a lot more of that money in like more personalized offers, more personalized messaging, and really incentivizing the right behavior that to me is like when you're really winning, when you know yeah. we actually don't have to spend a money, a ton of money on this thing that we've done forever or that everyone else does, because we know if we do this for this group of people, it will win. Love it. Yeah. It's like a, a sniper strategy. You're just only deploying the tactics that you know are going to work. I love it. Yeah. A couple of tips on, I think, where to start. Some things I'd like to see more companies do. So one of the first is just to be running more experiments. Like, I feel like we've been talking about this for 15 years, that experimentation is really key. But what we're finding in personalization is that top performing brands are running more than 20 sets of personalized communication experiments every single month. That's a great challenge. If the baseline is how many personalization experiments can you run in real time to be assessing to understand how many days it takes to get those offers out the door, how much personalization you need to add to any given offer to really impact the results. Like that would be challenge number one. Every company can do this. They can all be experimenting more. Nobody has an excuse for poor experimentation these days. So that would be low hanging fruit one. I think another would be to hire a product owner of personalization. So hire somebody whose job it is to think about your customer segments and what they truly care about and what data it would take to be able to leverage those particular like delight or solutions or pain points and think about how to mature in this way. I also think like transactional messages are really low hanging fruit. Transactional messages are the most well-read, the most open messages that anyone receives. And they are so boring. And I understand that there are some legal reasons why sometimes they have to be boring or they have to just be a receipt and you can't be like upselling and cross-selling. But there is a lot more that brands could be doing in those transactional messages to make them more inviting, to make them work just a little harder for each brand and make... Uh, the content feel more personalized in and of itself. And then second, or last, this isn't a cheap one, but if you're not playing with language, language is like one of the most important forms of personalization out there. Find out if you have Spanish-speaking consumers and test Spanish messages. It will be a little bit more costly. You'll have to do some work, but I guarantee the results will go through the roof. Love it. Well, I think, you know, we've been talking about personalization in, in some ways in almost every episode. And I love the the examples of the folks doing it right. When you start to ask me about examples that come to my mind, I feel bad. I almost just go to all the like negative, non-personalized experiences that I've had. And I think there's a, a ton of room. Hopefully the mid-tier brands or the, you know, the the brands that aren't rolling off the tongue. We've been talking about Sephora and Starbucks. Those are like digital leaders. Hopefully some of the others will start to follow suit and start to see the clear ROI. 
Yeah, I definitely think there are some and there's just like opportunities abound. Definitely can't wait to see this be improved in healthcare and financial services because when you look at a whole industry, you're like, well, I don't see a ton of people doing it right. There's a few, but I see a lot of opportunities to reduce friction. That is the kind of stuff that gets me super excited. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Well, thank you to our listeners. Thank you to everyone for listening in today and we will see you next week on Room for Growth.